You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. While we were singing that song, it was, just, it was perfect going into where we are this morning in Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, excuse me. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6. We'll continue our time in the Lord's Prayer. Last week we began learning about the Lord's Prayer and retains the standard origins by which our prayers consist of. It's a very simple model, very clear model. We approach a holy God and we eagerly delight in who He is and what He's doing in our lives. And God, in return, desires desires for you and I to be authentic in our posture and our humility. He wants this from His people to His holy self. We reproach this holy God. It changes the way we do go before God in prayer. Healthy prayer with the Heavenly Father is balanced. This balance is displayed by a genuine confession from the heart. God desires once again and welcomes and works with a genuine confession. I hope this last week was a little different in your prayer life. That's our aim. As we teach the Word and it, it changes your life. It changes how you do things. We are in this constant growing into God's likeness. Jesus made communion with the Father a priority. We were reminded of that. He spent time with the Father when people were sick and hurting, needing hope. All throughout Scripture, Jesus, several places, talked. He got along, got away. He didn't get caught in the busyness of doing However, there was a place for that. Balance once again. And then Christ reigns in our hearts and lives. When He naturally does that, when He lives in us, and we'll learn more about the will of God today, He will naturally advance His kingdom through us. J.I. Packer has a quote, Every word of the Lord's prayer reflects the Lord's vision of what our lives should be. Unified. All-embracing response to the love of the Father so that we seek His glory, trust His care, and obey His words every moment of every day. Understanding the Lord's Prayer changes the way we do life. Wrapped up in these six petitions, God clarifies His preeminence, His supreme, His holiness, but also the needs within the context of our community. So there are six petitions that are broke down in this Lord's Prayer. And as we understand, this should provide in us or give us the sense of proper urgency. The first three focus on God's preeminence, this word supremacy, sovereignty, all-knowing, our Father in heaven. Come before a holy God, hallowed, Be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth here as it is in heaven. God is showing us here His strength, His power. The last three petitions focus on specific needs in the context of our community. Give us our daily bread. This provision is the word that comes to me when I read that. The Lord provides, forgive us, Lord, but also lead us. 
These are very practical in our lives. We left off last week with, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9. Let's start right there for this morning. Pray then like this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And let us not, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That first verse 10 there that we're going to look at, your kingdom come, we remembered last week, this is a direct call to action that God's kingdom is to advance daily in our lives locally and globally. And for this to happen naturally, we must awake to surrender. Take up the cross, deny thyself. We'll revisit that later. Daily. When Christ begins and reigns in our hearts, He will advance His kingdom through us. Paul Tripp says, I came across this quote and I had to share it this week, your body will only go where your heart has already gone. Remember, we talked about that. God is concerned about our heart and our well-being and where we are, genuinely. Here, not mentally. So often, we try to tackle this, this prayer life There is a place of this renewing of the mind, but there's our heart being genuine before God. If your day is not going well, be honest. But if your day is wonderful, be honest too. Rejoice. Our heart tells everything about us. It steers the way we give with our time and our finances, with our love. very clear to understand that our goal is to see His will be done in our lives. Therefore, understanding God's will will clearly define what we are to do with the platforms God has given us. But to understand God's will for our lives, we must know and have a clear knowledge of what God's will is. Now I'm going to need you to keep up with me here, okay? We're going to break it down into three parts as I studied and reviewed. I told you last week, I did not want to rush through this section. So we're going to sit here for a few minutes and follow me. We understand three parts of God's will here. The first one here is going to be sovereign will, also known as hidden will. The second we'll talk about is the perceptive will, His revealed will. And the third we'll talk about is the will of disposition, His character. So to follow with me, we're going to start with His sovereign will, by which the will which God brings to pass, whatsoever, whatsoever, He decrees. This is hidden to us until it happens. This understanding of His sovereign will does not imply that God causes everything to happen. However, it acknowledges that because He is sovereign, He must at least permit or allow whatever happens to happen. Does that make sense? Is that resonating with you? He must choose to permit them these circumstances in our life because He is always, He always has the power and the right to intervene in His child's life. We've seen that with our our earthly fathers. You see that with my son Boone. Things play out. 
but I want to give a quick testimony and apply it to my life. One of the most daunting hurdles while working through my daughter's death was this. To know God so, that God is so prevailing and all-knowing and able. The Bible calls Him, I am. There was an inkling of hope while kneeling in the mud that day. That my daughter, I remember clearly I was so numb that I couldn't even bargain with her. We've been there. If you do this, I do that. My mind, I knew, has been renewed through understanding Scripture. And I believed He could deliver her. I remember repeating it. The water is cold enough. The water is cold enough. It was cold that day. He could remove her from the water. And give her breath once again. I trusted that. But God chose not to. You could imagine the rest of the times I've had with God. Honest, authentic. This was God's sovereign will. The will by which God brings to pass whatever or whatsoever He decrees. This was hidden until it happened. Just think with me. If I knew that the last time I dropped my daughter off, and that would be the last time that I saw her smile, you better believe she wasn't leaving my sight. You see? Understanding God's sovereign will, His hidden will. We do not fully understand many things that come to pass. That's why it is hidden. But there is a will, the second part, that we do understand. And this is called the perceptive will. His revealed will to us. His God's revealed will is law. It's the commandments. The expression of God's will is revealed both in His Word, but also in our conscience. Through God, which was written His moral law on our hearts. We understand this revealed will. And God is concerned about this. This teaches us and commands us and directs us and protects us in the things that we should do and not do as Christians. We must execute what we know to do and trust God with what we do not know what to do. Does that make sense? There are things we will not understand. I did not understand why He would take my daughter. But I do understand by the renewing of my mind by the Word of God that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, He said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I didn't understand what he was doing. But I did know the revealed will in my life, that I had to trust that. We're all familiar with this. So as you walk through things that are unknown, and you trust God, trust the things you do know, the Word. Trust those who counsel wisely. 
In the third part, the will of disposition, His character. This aspect of God's will describes God's attitude and defines what is pleasing to Him. For example, while it is clear that God takes no pleasure in death, it is also clear that He wills it, allows it, and decrees it. But also remember, death to self brings forth new life. This is God's character. Sent His Son. The essence of God created this plan or design of death to end life here on earth, but also give life. God's will is crucial in our understanding of who we worship. Though it may not clarify things of why or answer that question why, it gives you peace of mind of the Creator who's in control. Got Questions. There's a little app out there and a website called Got Questions. If you're interested, I found it to be very, very useful. There's an insert I want to read here. It says, if we are not careful, we're all guilty. If we are not careful, we can easily become preoccupied or even obsessed with finding the will of God for our lives. <laughs> However, if the will we are seeking is secret, hidden, we are on a foolish quest. You've got to understand that, church. That some things are left best in the hands of God. Don't try to play that position in your life. God has not chosen to reveal that aspect of His will to us. What we should seek to know is the perspective or revealed will of God. The true mark of a devoted follower of Christ is when he or she desires to know and live according to the will of God that is revealed in Scripture. But how often do we find ourselves wanting to know the unknown. Mystery is intriguing. And it should be. It spurs on in you a worship of something bigger than us. Holy God. Creator God. Our responsibility is to reveal the will of God, not to speculate on what His hidden will is. Now did I find myself in my situation in later events, bargaining? Did I find myself questioning? Did I find myself angry? Yes. Yes to all of the above. But I was still able to return each time in my prayer to God's revealed will for my life. His truth. Look at Scripture and God's will in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And later on, or before that, actually, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, it is God's will that you 
should be sanctified. It is God's will that you would walk through what you are walking through now. As deep as it hurts, you have to trust. Hebrews 13, 20-21, he says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That great shepherd of the sheep, He will equip you with every good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Walk away today with a clear understanding of God's will. And as we apply that practically to our life, we know that our chief goal as a Christ follower is to align ourselves with this will of God. So here it is, the game changer, as I would say. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything we do, church, is for the glory of God. So whatever we eat or drink, whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. That sound familiar? Because it's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Everything that we do, and all that we do, we do it for that glory You have a desire to bake cakes? Bake cakes for the glory of God. You want to bake a cake, Jessica? Bake it. I'm serious. God doesn't tell you to go bake the cake in the Bible. He tells you how to act as you make that cake. See? You want to coach sports? Go coach sports. But represent Christ well. God doesn't tell you to go coach baseball. Go coach basketball. Go coach dance. Coach cheerleading. He does not. He gives you the desire and ability to coach and to love and represent Christ well. Wow. You want to teach? Teach. Whatever these desires are in your life, God has knitted and designed. Do it well. Teach soundly. Represent Christ. Do your job well. God did not tell you go and be a school teacher, but He gifted you with the ability to teach in the public schools, private schools, but also in the local church. To edify the church. Christians should be the hardest working, the most concerning, the most caring, the most loving, the most respectful, the most sacrificial. But unfortunately, the church is infested with slothfulness, latefulness, disrespect to others, to yourself. We're not the most concerning. And I'm speaking as the church as a whole because I'll, I'll go to vouch for you, but we, some of us need to hear this. We're not the most concerning at times. We're not the hardest working at times. We have the ability to complain just as much as anyone else. We're not the most caring. We're not the most sacrificial. We're not the most loving. Is this sitting home with you? As we do everything for the glory of God, 
to align ourselves with His will. And if we were to represent Christ well, we should be the most and work our hardest to do it right. Unfortunately, the most common reason that I have when I moved back here to begin cultivating a church and, and gather the church, the most common reason that I, when I talked to people who were out of church that left the church was because of the people. And I get, I understand, we're human. I get, as I hear too often, we're just sinners. That is right. You should have that mentality. But we're redeemed. Do not take away from the blood cross. We have to hear this phrase too often in the church. I'm just a sinner. I'll do what I want and what I please. I have freedom. I have liberties. You are right. But I question your maturity. I've questioned my maturity as I prepared this. As a church, we have to move past this cop-out and move forward into a holy pursuit of God. It sets us apart. So this morning, please decide which camp are you in? Are you the most loving? Or are you not? Are you the most respectful? Or you're not? We do not do these for our self-centeredness. We do it for the glory of God, and a byproduct of that is His goodness. We have a responsibility to discover and nurture the God-given talent with us. This obedience, this is obedience, and it pleases God and conveys His glory. Think about that. You're wired specifically, and you have to discover, to understand the responsibility to discover and nurture that God-given talent. Parents, parents, measure your children carefully. Recognize and train them in their strengths. You hear me there? Recognize and train them in their strengths, but be aware of their weaknesses. And do the same for your life. God created you the way you are. There are things still festering inside of you that need to be expressed. Pray and ask the Spirit of Christ and the church around you to draw those out so that you can exercise your strengths to edify the church. However, we are not to manipulate we are not to manipulate our children to our aspirations, dreams, and hopes. We are to train them in the ways of the Lord. We need to recognize how they are designed. Because when we do so, we come alongside them as parents. But also we come alongside God in His design. And this naturally begins to grow out of our children. Too often we work against this concept. Because we want so bad for my son Boone to play t-ball. And knock it out of the park. But he can't run the first base without tripping. You see? But he can write in cursive before any of y'all. And control the computer. Hopefully cut the grass. I want you to understand me clearly there that we have that responsibility. 
in ourselves? So are we surrendering to God's will for our life? You may struggle with a decision. Even today, in Luke 9.23, it says, if anyone were to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Church, I cannot remind you enough that we must deny our flesh to live amongst the will of God. When it rises up, men, you know what I'm talking about. Women, grab it by the throat. Say, you're not going to control me. Crucify the flesh. Scriptures are very clear that we are to pray and seek counsel and trust those. So we want to see the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us that God's perfect will is experienced in heaven. And He desires it to be fulfilled here on earth. You hear that? We experience, when we get to heaven, Hallelujah. We're going to experience the perfect will of God and in, in heaven, but He also desires it here on earth. This good news. A glorious day it will be when we sit in God's glory. However, if we are aligned with God's will and in communion with the Father, we experience, we experience a bit of heaven when we bring glory to God in our lives here and now. If that is not your aim, you've got some thinking and some repenting and some rethinking and educating of how the will of God should play out in your life. It's important. Verse 11, it says, Give us this day our daily bread. We're on the fourth petition here as we get into some very practical things. Give us this day our daily bread. Very clear and simple. Very clear. Our prayers must recognize Him who provides our needs daily. Remember verse 8 of chapter 6? Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. The heartbeat of our Savior here is that He desires to meet our needs. Therefore, we with our authentic hearts, must approach Him and petition our needs. Be clear. Receive this daily bread. And then He says, forgive us of our debts. This fifth petition does not mean that we must repent daily, hear me, that we must not repent daily to be saved. This is important truth here. At the Oaks, we believe in this perseverance of the saints. This means that once the believer is called and confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he or she will not lose their salvation. Our salvation is in the hands of a sovereign God. Directly from our Articles of Belief says, All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has created in Christ and sanctified by His Spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments, temporal judgments on themselves. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Yes, things enter our lives. People 
leave communion and fellowship with the Heavenly Father. Unfortunately, I've been there. We've all been there. Ephesians 1, 13-14, it says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Let that move you. Holy God, Creator Earth, you are His possession. He calls you His own. This truth is important. Once again, and our salvation is not based on our works, but on who? The obedience of Jesus Christ. Wonderful news. So what does this mean here? Forgive us of our debts. How should we approach our time of repentance? Savior here is teaching the importance of being aligned once again with the Heavenly Father. You can very well be out of communion with the Father, but never lose that union, that sealed, that kept, that watch care, that over. He desires that for you. He has called you and loved you and redeemed you. Our fellowship is hindered clearly by our disobedience and our sin in our lives. We are quick to blame. But we need to look eternally at ourselves. And then he says, also, we are also, forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors. What compels us to forgive? The love that God has given us. If you experience the love of God daily and recognize Him daily, this will compel you to forgive and love. What compels us to extend grace? The very grace that was extended to us. People experience Christ and our forgiveness to them. This does not mean, church, that there will not be consequences for those actions. But as grace is extended to that person and these consequences unfold, you're able to love them with the Gospel. With the hopes of it unfolding health in your life. This is an opportunity for the Gospel to work. So we, Lord, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, but also in 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The final and sixth petition here, this addresses our battle with sin and evil. There's a clear war within ourselves and within this world, and we need rescue, and we have it in Jesus Christ. Knowing and having and understanding this prayer and understanding that there's this battle of sin and evil should create in you a mentality to watch and pray. You must always be on watch. Let us not, lead us not into temptation. This request is to spare us from temptation and not that it may lead us to sin. Lord, we need, but we, church, we need to watch for these areas in our life. Watch against temptation. They may visit us through many, many different situations. They will, and they will visit you from people in, this, in these seats. It will visit you hanging out at their house. It will visit you hanging out at the restaurant. It will visit you late at night when you should be in bed. It will visit you at the workplace. You need to watch and be careful of these situations 
whose company that you are in and whose influence lead us into tempting situations. Snares are set and they are waiting. It's a war. But if it's a war, we must fight. As we remember those heroes today who gave their life for you and I and the freedom of this country. There's a war to be fought, so we cannot sit on the sidelines. We've been given the tools necessary. But the crucial part of this point of the prayer is that we must remain in step with the Father. Because when we recognize the situation and the company and the influences, we do not want to ignore them. We have a responsibility as the church to associate with them, to bring truth. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, here's our answer. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It's coming. But God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape. Notice that word escape. That you may be able to endure it. To recognize the way of escape, we must be watchful and never ceasing prayer. It doesn't stop. Remember last week? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We have a responsibility to go to war. But to be successful in this war, we must be in communion. Walk in step with this. Because it's truth. But deliver us from evil. Jesus petitions here. Our Savior takes notes that rescue comes from the Heavenly Father. He is the best guard and assurance that any of us can have. Be reminded this morning, church, this is once again obtained by communion with the Father who sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sins. This morning, if you find yourself practicing sin that put Jesus on the cross, confess it. Let God be everything to you. When you confess the sin that brought Jesus to the cross, as a man or a woman, you go to the cross and you apply the gospel. You apply grace and you walk in victory, redeemed. Not to return back, but repent to go the other direction. Redeemed in victory because of the cross. Do not take away from what God has done. He's given us life. So in closing, we must execute what we know to do and trust God with what we do not know. Let that sit. Understand the will of God. And then all that you do, do it for the glory of God. We have a responsibility to discover our strengths, our talents, and nurture those God has designed us for. And use those to edify the church and represent Him well. And then as we recognize and pray without ceasing, our provider, God the Father, will give us 
the way of escape when temptation and evil comes. But our responsibility is to be watchful and never ceasing. Take a moment to read from this hymnal book that I was reading and meditating on this week. 419, it says, Prayer is the soul's sincere desire. Unuttered or expressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Think about that. The power of prayer. Prayer is the burden of a sigh. It's the falling of a tear. The upward glancing of an eye when none but God is near. And when that get away in silence, be with the Heavenly Father. We learned that last week. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infants' lips can try. Prayer is the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air, his watchword at the gates of death. He enters heaven with prayer. Think of that. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself hast trod. Lord, teach us 